Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. In a house where reality is an illusion, where imagination turns to fear, there is no escape. Don't you love it here? <laughs> From the haunting, Liam Neeson. Catherine Zeta-Jones, from the director of Twister and Speed, The Haunting. All right, so um, on the uh, the last episode, you expressed uh, equal excitement for this uh, double feature um, to to talk about The Haunting, and I'm kind of curious on this, Ben, because I guess first off, you know, as we usually do, uh, we ask if the other person you know saw this in 1999 proper. Um, or if you, you know, you cop with it later, but this is, you know, not a spoiler to say that this is not, and I don't think has ever been a, uh, much beloved film. No, uh, never. And the, the 63 version is very beloved and, and I'm a big fan of that. Uh, I didn't see the remake in theaters, but I do remember there being a lot of hate towards it. And I remember when I finally did catch up with it, there was already a sort of sense of this was a movie that you were not allowed to to enjoy because and and, and this kind of happens in the 90s more so than any other decade there are all these remakes and instead of instead of them all being taken on their own terms what people do is they is a kind of uh, and you see this in the critics' response to them, is they kind of make it a point to declare their love for the original and um, and say how stupid Hollywood is for remaking, uh, you know, things. And so, do you want me to keep going, or should I? Should we talk about about your? Is that something you've always <laughs> um, disagreed with? 
No, uh, I think as a kid, you know, when I when I was a child, I, I thought and spoke like a child. But, you know, when I became a man, I realized that a remi- okay. you know, remaking a movie does, like, like it's similar to, to when you have like in, in theater, you know, they have revivals of different plays right. and stuff okay. and you have different actors. And I just see it like that today. There are good remakes sure. and bad remakes. There are remakes that improve on certain aspects of the original and there are uh and sometimes they 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 dis, they, they do other aspects more poorly uh mo- in general in general i really hate that they don't remake movies that had movies that had ton of potential but that uh failed initially because i think those would really be the more interesting uh films to remake and they just don't do that, which you know is unfortunate. No, they they take the ones that uh, you know have some sort of name uh, value to them. Uh, although you know now I, I you know I, this is one that I actually can't see being remade or marketed as like a big release in 2019. Uh, the Haunting, you know, I think <laughs> this is very much like something that uh, Bloomhouse or probably even a studio before. I think in like the mid 2000s, you're seeing a lot of possession movies. Um, which may have to do with the uh, uh, the re-release of The Exorcist doing so well, because uh, I remember that in like the uh, the two thousands, that being like a, a, its own sort of genre to itself. Difference being very uh, very cheap, very economical mm-hmm. versions of haunting stories, and they went a totally different way with this DreamWorks uh, version of it with uh, Lily Taylor and Catherine Zeta Jones, Liam Neeson, Owen Wilson, I guess, also sort of on the come up. Uh, here um and that's what i remember about it i did not see it uh when it came out i saw it as i mentioned uh, last time we talked uh for the first time just for a podcast that was on horror movie uh, remakes and um yeah this thing uh is expensive and it doesn't look great and i'm wondering how good it looked back then but it's something you've sort of railed against like sort of adopting the latest tech mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. without really thinking about you know, if that's using the latest and greatest, if it's going to age uh, well, you know, five, ten years down the road. But I can certainly say uh, 20 years down the road, uh, it's pretty goofy, this this <laughs> this movie. And uh, I don't know if that was the initial intent, because I, I watch some of it now, and there's some of it I actually do like. Um, but I don't think it's the effects work that uh, is, is what I'm enjoying here. You know, it isn't. I don't think it's the, the effects work itself. I think the effects work itself is pretty top notch for for that time. It's the it's the conceit of it uh, <laughs> being if that makes any sense. It, the fact that every little part of this house starts to come alive in like you said some sort of goofy way and I think the moment the the turning point for the movie for me is when when the statue uh comes out of the the the, the little pond uh, that Liam Neeson has been talking uh, next to, uh, and, and then and then you know it just doesn't nothing else happens from that point. It's just like you know the, you you definitely get a sense that the movie is coming coming off of its rails at that point uh, for me. Um, I guess what I was surprised about is that I, I hated this movie as a kid uh, when I watched it. I thought it was one of the worst movies of 1999, and we already mentioned this got nominated for for the Razzie Award. Uh, from this year but I think today I don't hate it Uh, I was surprised how much I was enjoying the first 90 minutes or so of it 
and then it all it all just falls apart in a real to, for me this is my reaction it's a real uh, a, a real good example of how a movie can just completely fall apart in its in its third act and i look at the ending here i don't know how so okay let's can we spoil everything in this movie cuz no one no one cares I, well i was about to say i sure you no one cares uh, about the haunting i don't know if it's streaming anywhere i feel like i watched it on a streaming service but i think i i think i watched it on something like tubi or something or like crackle with ads you know i didn't, I didn't give it the uh, i guess the treatment that they uh, deserved back in 1999 as a big release but yeah, it's fine. Uh, you know, it's a haunted house movie. So I guess you're about to reveal, you know, who dies. The whole ending, the whole shitty ending here, uh, where so uh, Lily Taylor, you know, it's been revealed that she is like the descendant of this second wife of this guy named Hugh Crane, and he comes out of the painting and. He, she, like, you know, starts going on and on about, like, some sort of vague lesson in regards to family and children and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, this, then Hugh Crane, like, you know, uh, like, screams something unintelligibly. I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid of you. The children need me. And I'm going to set them free. <laughs> Then Lily Taylor sacrifices herself and and becomes an angel, and the children are all set free. And none of it works. None of it works. Um, you know, she she. <laughs> this is this is just for humor. Um, what I'm about to say. So she's screaming like she keeps screaming Ukraine, Ukraine, and everything. And, and you know, she's saying it so fast. I thought maybe she was like a Russian imperialist or something. Uh, you know. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate this ending so much. I hate... So, weirdly enough, uh, this is a rare case where Steven Spielberg was heavily involved in the creative development of a movie that he ultimately ha didn't have a credit on at all. And so, from reading up on it, uh, I guess all this stuff with the children in the sheets and the children, you know, having, like, physical manifestations throughout the house and everything, like, all that was Spielberg's input. And, okay. and I think that was a mistake. I think that comes off really silly and, and dumb. And I don't, I guess, I, what I end up feeling left with is that, well, the children don't really, you know, they're flying around the house and everything. They don't seem, you know, to be in any immediate danger uh, so, you know, what, what's the big deal? Uh, <laughs> and I, and I don't really, I don't really understand, uh, what, what's going on, uh, at the end. It feel, it feels like the ending to, to, uh, to Marvel Cinematic Universe movies that we get now. It's just really loud and, and boisterous and you, there's no suspense as to, you know, who's going to win, uh, in the end. And yeah, yeah, it's a, it, it's very, it really lets me down because there was other stuff going on prior to that, that I, that I thought was working for the film. And so, okay. Well, what was your reaction, Denison? What I, you know, none of the effects, as I said, work. Um, <laughs> Liam Neeson as the, uh, 
you know the the grand dungeon master uh, setting up the scenario um to escalate uh their their levels of anxiety and fear uh so he can he gives some sort of you know bs speech where it's like you know we we we've basically lost our reason as like a species for fear <laughs> i guess because of modern advancements uh that we we don't need to be um on on alert because we're not wearing loincloth and uh, all this nonsense, and it's you know it, it's just a reason to to force people uh, into experiment into a, a haunted house. Mm-hmm. But he's he's not playing a believer, uh, which you know calls into question exactly you know why this house. You know if he's someone who thinks that's stupid, he just thinks that uh, by having them go to the sleep trial in this supposedly haunted place that they'll like manifest those those fears and those anxieties themselves. Uh, so. I don't like any of that, but what I do like is that Lily Taylor is so unrelentingly cheery mm-hmm. throughout, <laughs> and I had for, I'd forgotten that aspect of it. And you know, I, I think it's kind of cool that you know Lily Taylor was the main character in like one of these huge big budget studio releases because, uh, and I guess unfortunately for her, uh, not getting the opportunity too many times, this is you know one of them. Um, but I think she's the best thing about it, or at least the way they they decide to portray her her character, because she is a caretaker for mm-hmm. her mom. That's the setup, and so she she's the the one who is coming in, like almost like she's been imprisoned. You know, she's been under someone else's thumb, and her entire her entire being has been to see that another person like makes it through another day. She's been at their beck and call. So that was a pretty cool take on someone going to a haunted house willingly and that she's there for an adventure, you know? Yep. Um, so the ending you, <laughs> you, you bring up <laughs> kind of, kind of ruins it. Cause I'm, I'm thinking like, okay, I'm buying in this character, uh, you know, shedding that skin of being a caretaker. And how does the character end up? She yep. sacrifices yep. herself. Mm-hmm. To be the the guardian angel of all these dead children, I'm like motherfuckers. Like that, you know, just lame. I, I don't know. It just you know, it just seems like okay. So she's been drawn to this place to just be who she she always was, and they're flipping it to make it be better because it's dead children and their souls. But I mean, I'm I'm not a parent, so I, I don't buy into it. I don't. You know, I, I have a hard time. <laughs> I don't think that's the deciding factor. I mean, there are a lot of people who weren't parents who who hated this movie too. So. <laughs> Well, I, you know, you bring in the the sort of the Spielberg factor. He clearly that's that's a huge running theme. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. family and fatherhood, and you know, the relationship between parent and child. Uh, but that that doesn't connect with me at all because I can't get through the the haze of you know the supernatural aspect of it. So none of it means anything to me. Um, you know, I I guess I like from what I remember the original. Uh, there is this uh, possible. Um, homosexual relationship that they can't directly acknowledge. I don't know yeah, you, if you remember that one more yeah, clearly. Yeah, so okay. I like the original quite a lot, and I've watched it re- recently, and and yeah, okay. that's that's hinted at in the original. I think it's hinted at, you know, pretty well here. Uh, I just wish it had kind of gone all the way with yes, it. Yes, I know? agree. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we sound like <laughs> we should be reviewing, like, wild things or something. With, yeah. <laughs> with my enthusiasm, like... <laughs> of us nodding her head but yeah i watched it and i'm like okay so if you're gonna do a 
a modern update, then uh, this is now you can you can just put that out there. And Catherine Zeta Jones seems like she's all about it, and you know she's flirtatious, and she's coming off of. Uh, the absolutely fantastic entrapment, which we both loved, and uh... fake fake news, Deniston. <laughs> I'm going to call you fake news, Deniston. I uh, I haven't, you know, I just started using Letterbox as sort of like a New Year's thing. Like I need to start documenting like what I'm watching, and like I wanted to be basically check myself, like because I just wanted to give little, you know, if I can hopefully keep it concise, reviews like my instant thoughts as soon as I watch something and then I can kind of go back and reflect on like what an idiot I was or how that's changed. I sort of like that thing. So I'm using letterbox to do that. So unfortunately for this project only have like 30 of the movies documented. Um, (laughs) but I, I know it would pain you to see how high up entrapment is on my ratings of the, (laughs) the movies we've watched for the year 1999, uh, probably substantially higher. Uh, then you have it. This one, we're probably on the same mark because I, you know, I didn't like it, um, but it did put me in a fix where it's like you talked about how there's things that are sort of quickly set up to be hated. So if you're into movies, yeah. this will be one. Um, what's it like Batman and Robin, you know, from two years prior to this was like, you know, there's yeah, opening weekend that was already detested. You know, th- there'd be no way you could say, well, that was there were some some things I liked about it. You know, you'd be yelled at on the message boards ain't it cool news back in the day um so that's you know it is unfortunate because the one thing i really liked about it i'm thinking people will never give us a chance so they'll never get to see lily taylor like being kind of a cool fun character for a long stretch but it's hard for me to like put that out there to the world because they butcher it at the very end Mm -hmm. so i don't know the thing i like best about it is also the thing that makes me the most angry by the end of it so overall not not a very successful experience for me yeah see i really like the casting of lily taylor here as well uh you know it's really it's rare to see like a like a woman in her 30s uh who looks like she's in her 30s and and have her be the main character of a summer film like this and and i think that was that was a very smart choice and Catherine theo jones is very good casting as well both Catherine zeta jones and lily taylor they really look a lot like <laughs> their counterparts from mm-hmm. from the original and, and i guess that's the reason why they why they went that direction but but whatever it works so I, i'll give the movie credit on that and you know it's just it's just an unfortunate uh thing and i think the person i blame the most for it is spielberg uh, who at the end of the day takes his name off of it. And, you know, I think Liam Neeson's character should have been a villain, should have been like he should have been an out and out mm. villain. That would have been a more interesting movie. And they seem to not want to go that way. And, uh, yeah, and I think that that's a disconnect. And, and, you know, so just like Lake Placid, this movie doesn't just fall into the formula of, Okay, every 15 minutes, uh, you know, a, a, a big ghost is going to come out and kill someone and, you know, and it's going to be something really gory and gross. They try for something a little bit higher than that. And they unfortunately, it, it's unfortunate that it failed, but it's easy to see, you know, the flaws in it in it now. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'll say it's unfortunate that it failed. <laughs> I mean... You know, maybe they they failed uh, at the the finished product, but as far as actually, I don't know if this one failed financially. Or not I just remember it being a, being a very uh, high budget and no one really liking it. But maybe it did 
do well? Do you do you know if it was successful? Well, so that'll lead into our discussion of the Blair Witch, actually, okay. if we want to. So going into the summer, you know, The Haunting looked like the big film for this weekend. And uh, and it does have a very high budget. I believe it's over $100 million. And so the ironic thing, of course, is that The Blair Witch made for a a minute fraction of that of that money uh ends up outgrossing the haunting by about 50 50 million dollars in the you know the domestic box office which is huge for 1999 and uh just interesting uh, you know the horror genre i think has always depended on lean economically <laughs> uh high concept uh you know movies and and this is a good this is a good case of that because on paper a remake a, a straight remake of the haunting you know would have a lot of brand recognition and everything and, and would do well but you know obviously the direction they took the story in uh, you know did, kind of did it in and the story of the Blair Witch you know became a real sensation in 1999. I just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. I am so, so sorry because it is my fault because it was my project. I am so scared. So I'm very interested to know if you saw the Blair Witch in in theaters, yeah, that actually was uh, a <laughs> one of the uh, better experiences uh, for me going to the movies because, uh, you know, I was I was a movie guy. Like I read movie blogs. Uh, like I remember uh, really liking uh, David Poland, who I, I think is kind of checked out of the out of the uh, film uh, journalism game. Uh, had a blog called. Uh, TNT. It was on TNT's website, like TNT's roughcut.com was like their movie site. And so I would be reading about stuff with the expectation, like, well, <laughs> it'll take, you know, a year and a half, two years before I get to see it. <laughs> you know, basically whenever it comes out on video for a lot of the festival films. And so I was probably a little bit more checked in to this, you know, this movie coming up, uh, the Blair Witch, uh, based on, on that, on that particular buzz from, making a festival rounds and um, you know, then you start seeing commercial spots. I think they were, I think they were pretty aggressive uh, uh, getting to that sort of wide release uh, date. But in my town, the art house, the only art house cinema and still the only one uh, was getting it uh, a week earlier than the, uh, you know, the big theater chains, like your, your regals or cinemarks or what have you. So we went uh, out of our way to to go see it, and it was actually the first time I ever went to uh, our our local art house theater. And when I say local, I was still like an hour, <laughs> an hour outside of uh, Lexington. So, um, so it, it's a pretty you know it, it was coming in this. I I really was trying to be cautious about separating uh, you know Blair Witch the Blair Witch Project the film from it being like something that I remember fondly almost like going to see like a band in concert for the first time you know mm -hmm. I was 
making a conscious decision and I was taking my friends and we were going to go to this theater uh, that played, you know, like cool movies, low budget movies. And uh, it was something we're really anticipating. Uh, and it was our first time going to, to that. So, um, so yes, I did see it in theaters and it's a good thing because I worked at a video store at the time. And this is one of, this was one of the biggest, uh, biggest earners for my little local video store, uh, in a small town in Kentucky. And also one of the most reviled movies <laughs> people would, when people would bring it back, they would start like cussing at me as if I was a participant in one big, huge fraud that had been uh, <laughs> perpetrated on them just for, you know, scanning it and, you know, saying, have, you know, have a good night, <laughs> you know, hope you enjoy it. Um, and everyone that came back wanted to ask me if I was aware when I let them rent this movie on video that none of it was real. If I, <laughs> and if I like said, yes, if I was like, you know, oh yeah, I saw that movie. It's really cool the way they did it. Uh, I felt like they were going to physically attack me for, for, for not warning them that it was not actually a documentary. Um, so yeah, so I, I did see it. I was sort of a part of the buzz at the time. I had a friend that really got into the sort of the web experience, like the very early web experience of like, you know, the backstory and clues and different like websites you could go to. I didn't, I never, I still have never really yeah. gotten into that, but, uh, yeah, this was like a big deal for me uh, as a teenager and for my friends, we were all really into this when it came out. See, I never, so I never saw it in theaters and I feel like I kind of missed out, but, but I honestly think my reaction to it would, would have been the same. I, I, I caught up with it when it was on TV and, uh, and like you, I remember the long gestating marketing campaign for it. I remember it on dark horizons, uh, on that mm. movie website that it was kind of building through that. And it's probably, probably, yeah, the first kind of viral internet marketing campaign, uh, you know, to happen. And so, okay, I'm going to ask you a question that I already know the answer to. Uh, have you ever seen a movie called The Legend of Boggy Creek from 1972? No. Okay, so The Legend of Boggy Creek from 1972 is very, it, it's sort of like a similar kind of thing where this guy, you know, made a movie centered around this, uh, you know, uh, ghost kind of urban legend thing. And he did interviews with people in the town pretending it was real. The, the difference being that in The Legend of Boggy Creek, uh, The Legend of Boggy Creek, by the way, is terrible. It's absolutely awful. It's practically unwatchable. Um, I'm looking at it on IMDb, and I have to say the pictures they're using don't make it look really no, enticing to no, watch. No, not at all. Uh, but it is, so, so what's funny is that in the middle of these interviews that he does, uh, they have these, you know, very dramatic, uh, dr <laughs> re, you know, re-dramatizations of, of, you know, attacks from the, the, the legend of Boggy Creek. Um, and, you know, totally unconvincing in terms of creating the illusion that, that, that it was a real documentary or whatever. And uh, the Legend of Boggy Creek, nevertheless, makes like $25 million in 1972, which is a ton of money, uh, probably comparable to what Blair Witch does in 1999. And so I've always kind of thought that Blair Witch was a version of that and that it, you know, it came around at just the right time and appealed to, to just the right amount of people 
and, you know, was able to become a phenomenon over the summer. And you can't take that success away from the filmmakers. You know, if, if, if anyone could, you know, to take $50,000 or whatever and have these three people in the woods doing this stuff and have a big successful movie, uh, you know, than anyone would. And so you can't really take that success away from these people at the same but you're time. About to. I'm a, well, I'm just going to say it's never been effective. It's never been effective for me. I've, I've never, I never found it scary in the same way people did. Uh, each time I revisit it, it, it feels, it feels to get like it gets a little worse and uh, I don't outright hate it uh, or anything like that, but it's never, it's never, it, it never, uh, fun, it, it never hits me on that visceral, level of of you know being making me tapping into my fear you know so does it do that for you michael does it like did you did you find it scary in 1999 do you still find it scary today i don't know like i i don't i don't remember coming out of it thinking like in like almost any any sort of big runaway uh, success at the box office, uh, and maybe not even that, uh, just mildly successful. You, you know, you see the marketing all the time, like, you know, the scariest film since The Exorcist seems to be like, <laughs> that seems to be like a bullet in their chamber in marketing. Uh, and I, I always sort of chuckle at, at that, which I, you know, I, I sort of liken, and you, it sounds like you probably disagree. Um, I, I find like horror movies to be far closer to comedy as far as how effective they are with an individual person. Like I don't, mm. I don't think there's like a, uh, you know, a very specific craftsmanship to horror. Same with comedy. That's like, okay, I, I did X, Y, and Z. So it'll be effective. Like if I sort of follow this path and I'm sort of professional and I do everything the right way. Um, and I, that, that's one of the problems I have. Like, you know, you see that, uh, with both those genres where it's like, Oh, it's not that funny. Uh, it's like a, you know, a pithy, you know, remark on a message board back in the day or a tweet now. And, you know, same thing. It's not that scary or I wasn't scared by it. So it's weird. Like I don't remember being like terrified with it. And I certainly am not like today. Like I, and I even like tried to watch this the correct way, like late at night, <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, it's getting close to like, you know, 1130 midnight. I must throw this on. Like, you know, nothing else distracting me. Like I'm going to watch it like you would, uh, like you just, you know, like the old days, you just pop in like a, uh, a tape and you mm -hmm. watch it or you come across on cable TV. Um, but I'm, I'm different from you and that I, you know, I came into watching this one and I wasn't like really excited to, to watch it. I was probably, this is probably shameful, but I think I was far more excited to watch the haunting. Cause I'm like, okay, there's going to be more to talk about there <laughs> than the Blair witch. I feel like the Blair witch is kind of like the matrix. Everything that can mm -hmm. be discussed about it has been at this point. It was such a sensation, <clears throat> but I, I came away with it like far more impressed with it than I probably was in 1999. I mean, in 99, if you'd asked me then I, there, I would have thought there's no way I'm talking about this movie 20 years from now. That was a fun theme park ride. I enjoyed watching it with my buddies I did go back to see it in the theater and I would take like different people. Like I'd go on dates to watch it. And, you know, it was just sort of like a strangely fun ish movie to watch when it's really people wandering around bitching at each other and nothing really happening. <laughs> and I think as an old man, that's what I gravitate towards is I really like the three actors they have here. And I like how hateful they are to each other. And they, I mean, it's not even like a typical horror movie where it's like they, 
kind of like each other and then it's like they you know one you know becomes mind controlled or one you know it turns on the other which i think you see far more in like the the sequel the second one like these are people that you can tell like would not hang out with each other like outside of this particular experience and it's it's funny to me because i remember and for this podcast did some reading up on it how how much back in the day the Heather character is like just reviled uh-huh. by like even fans of this film, which I I find fascinating because I never, I never had that experience. And in particular, when you get to one point in the film where one of the characters says, uh, you know, is a form of revenge, um, you know, and spite to her has, um, kicked, I think he says he kicked the shit out of the map. He just, you know, he, he tosses it away in the woods. And I, I find all of that stuff really effective. I, like the stuff, when it's how people treat one another when they don't have a lot invested in that person, they don't have a lot of history with them, how horrible and how easy it is to be horrible to another human being uh, when you don't see them as human. You see them as some sort of obstacle or some sort of way to, you know, to be a paycheck or to get you, you know, to the next place. That's the part that still, that stuff really works for me. But in my reading of it, like, it's funny, like, I, I think I'm an outlier there. And it seems like most people truly treat these actors like, this is like amateur hour in the way of performances and none of the characters like they did. People don't want to spend any time with them, but they sort of like the, the backstory. They like the mythology. And I even have, you know, the friend I mentioned that was part of the web stuff. He gravitated more towards that than he ever did any of the like human interactions. But I think that that stuff really, that is still works for me. So uh, to answer your question, I don't know if it was ever like, I ever found it like really to be a scary movie, but I found uh, the the dynamic between the three people, like with this problem being lost in the woods, I found that really interesting and still do. I'm glad you really liked it uh, and that you really liked it today. <laughs> and so don't hate me. Don't hate me for hating on it. Uh, but I but I well, have the opposite reaction to it. And I that don't... That has such a an icy... Like, I mean, I, you mean that in the best way, but it, it, it sounds like you've just drawn a blade. Well, <laughs> like... I really mean it, but, I, but I'm also like, I also want to continue to, the discussion. Uh, so... <laughs> And be honest, uh, you know, I don't think it's amateur hour, but I do think the film, I think the film's character building is kind of hurt by the genre that that they're in mm-hmm. and the way they mm-hmm. approach it, that they didn't really have solid character beats, you know, for like for them specifically in the beginning. They're not very well defined in the beginning of the film. We just kind of see them goofing off and everything. And maybe that, yeah, that's realistic and all that. Uh, but I wish, I wish they had played with the idea of one of them going crazy, uh, in the, in, you know, in the, uh, during this hike and causing all this, even if that ends up being, you know, a red herring, it would have given you, it would have given me something, uh, and okay. Okay. You're, you're right. Scariness in a movie is completely subjective and all that. But for me, I've just never been a, it's really hard for me to buy into movies about paranormal activity, about, about, uh, ghosts and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I find it not, I find, I find the rules to, to be not, (laughs) to be not very well defined. And, And so I just end up asking myself, well, if the Blair Witch is omnipotent and all powerful, why doesn't she just come through and kill them all right now? Um, you know, if the Blair Witch, if that's what the Blair Witch wants, you know, just do it. Um, and there's a, uh, you, you kind of alluded to, uh, uh, 
<laughs> Seinfeld for me. Uh, I don't think you were purposely doing it with your your take on the haunting with the the Hugh Crane with you know that that when I hear that like being like yelled out like I just think of the, the Ukraine as weak like that, <laughs> that epic game of Risk <laughs> between Kramer and, and Newman. But th- in this instance, the moment of uh, Seinfeld I'm remembering and your take on Blair Witch is when. Kramer uh tries to be like uh Mr. Movie Phone mm-hmm. uh where people keep calling him that you know his number is one digit off from being the the movie time, you know, automated system and he attempts to like you know do the you know press this, you know. Yeah. And I'll give and <laughs> and clearly, you know, it's going to come to a point where he doesn't understand what each of those little tones mean. So <laughs> inevitably his response is why don't you just tell me the movie you yeah. want to see? And, the, and that is the Blair Witch. Yes, you, you it's a, an, an obvious point where it's like, you know, why are you, why is the Blair Witch invested in creating, you know, basically doing the Liam Neeson thing of creating this tension and this almost like sort of manic energy by just uh, terrorizing them night after night and not just, you know, coming for them immediately. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I mean is that I, I, I find it hard to buy that these characters would, would jump from, you know, oh, we're lost in the woods to the the Blair Witch is trying to kill us, even though they're making a documentary on this thing. I mean, obviously, if they really believed in the Blair Witch, they wouldn't want to make a documentary and go out in the middle of the woods to find her. So why are they suddenly believers, you know, when there's uh, when they have each other to blame, um, which they do a bit, but not enough for, for me to really uh, invest in it. And that, to me, would have been the stronger choice. And I have problems with the found footage genre as a whole. Uh, for starters, and this movie commits, you know, the sin that I see in every one of these goddamn things, is they have two cameras, and immediately in, like, one of the first scenes, we see a cut between one of the cameras to the other one, begging the question, okay, who's assembling all this footage later? Is it the Blair Witch does she have like a little moviola in her basement? Is that what she's doing? Um, it drives me that nuts. That would explain why she takes her time on terrorizing them because she needs as, <laughs> she needs more as footage. much footage as possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's a renegade editor, you know, who, who made too many notes to the studio back in her day, and now you know this is her revenge. Uh, but that drives me cl- crazy. Chronicle, a movie I like, does the same thing where where suddenly a, a third character. Uh, comes in a female and she's talking to what's his name um, from Spider-Man the uh, Dane DeHaan and they Mm -hmm. start cutting between the two cameras and it's just like well you know she wasn't even involved initially so how is her footage like getting to this place and I don't I I get lost in the logic of it and it's hard for me to buy into it the the most successful found footage horror movie for me is the first Cloverfield because they found real world reasons for why things were happening. Like the mm. flashbacks, the flashbacks are happening because they recorded over a tape from, from earlier. You know, that's, that's a very smart choice. Uh, I just, I, you know, it, it, it's, it, and, and the whole found footage thing is so limited that, that, you know, it's really, that's why we see one movie every like 20 years pop up and be a huge success. And then we have a bunch of movies that no one, no one's really interested in. So, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things here. Uh, Cloverfield, I've always hated because uh, not for them taping over this 
I don't know, this like weekend away he has with like this crush, these two people like, you know, flirting or starting something together. But the fact that he uh, like races back into the city to go mm-hmm, find mm-hmm. that person, like as if he <laughs> he will be able to. Well, you know, a giant lizard like, you know, storms around the whole place. Uh, always hated that. Could never invest in it. But the other thing, when you when you start talking about I've even I've, I've forgotten the, the weird 70s movie that you brought up um, that looked bad, but. Uh, there was another one at the time, and I actually found, uh, you know, an, an actual message board still discussing it uh, because I remembered it being successful in my video store. Is like, well, you know, this is like the real Blair Witch, but it was another, you know, fake documentary. It was called The Last Broadcast. I haven't seen it. You ever heard of this one? It was only ever like I, I assure you, the only reason it ever came to my video store in small town Kentucky is because uh, there was talk at the time that because it came out in '98. And that the Blair Witch like ripped it off. Like, um, I, you know, I, I don't think, I think this is something as you, with your example, anyone could do, right? Like you're just playing on the supernatural and those sort of, you know, the, the campfire stories, uh, of just sort of going out in the woods and exploring. And so inevitably found footage is going to make its way there. Uh, the other one I thought of was, um, the paranormal activity, which actually Mm -hmm. did. I think probably ring it out as much as possible doing like its version of saw where it was like, it became like an annual, like almost annual Halloween release, like a new paranormal activity was going to come out. And I remember reading, I think Spielberg had influence. on. Oh that yeah, too. I know. Uh, so, so <laughs> here, let me tell you. So my experience with paranormal activity is that I saw a version of it many years ago and I really liked it. And I since have come to find out that the version I saw was the version before Spielberg tinkered with it, mm-hmm. and now it is impossible to find. And you know, thanks. You know, this is the, this is the I hate you, <laughs> Steven Spielberg uh, episode of, of this podcast. <laughs> you ruined the haunting. You ruined paranormal activity. You're you're just you're just useless. You know, Stephen. From what I remember, he the ending specifically, right? Wasn't it the last shot that became uh, more effects heavy i think apparently there are changes all throughout the movie and i've only oh, ever well, seen i've that. only ever seen the one version and it will only exist in my memory now uh, because of steven spielberg so <laughs> <laughs> that was sort of a very dark sort of terrifying sentence there he's out there in the world so um i guess yeah um i don't know i i i think this one can we talk a little bit about the uh the blair witch's sort of place in pop culture history because you're coming at it from a more negative point of view okay but i want to say i want to point out this is like this is a movie that is really this property of the blair witch is only really popular in 1999 the the sequel that comes a year later it does not do well the uh they did a a pseudo sequel a few years ago it did not do well um like it it like the, this original movie has remained popular, you know, for some people, but they have not been able to capitalize this on this at all. Well, when you think I think they it. left a lot of money on the table because, you know, I, I saw a couple of those, at least at least two of those paranormal activities and like none, you know, neither one of those experiences. And if I saw more, uh, definitely not because I don't remember seeing more than two. None of those have like stuck with me, really. Like the only thing I remembered was that, oh, I heard Spielberg changed the ending. Like I remember that last shot just because of that story. Um, I, I think they, this, this harkens back to, you know, the time that we're in, like doing nine, nine from nine, nine. And that I think back then, like if a film, even if it was financially successful, 
if there was a backlash to it, there was a little bit of hedging. Whereas <laughs> I think if, you know, this one, when it went into wide release, when it opened on 1100 screens on July 30th and grossed $29 million, mm-hmm. uh, second only to Runaway Bride. I think as soon as that opening weekend, uh, you know, kind of mimicking what Paranormal Activity did, you know, made now, uh, there's another one going, like they announced the sequel will be coming a year from now or probably in October, January, those two sort of horror months. Uh, and they just start rolling the ball with it. Like, I think you're going to get, you know, five or six of them like you would with Saw or Paranormal Activity with diminishing returns, both creatively and probably financially. But it is like, it seems like a sweeter, more naive time where it's like, they're like, oh, wow, people are really upset that they felt tricked that that was a documentary. So for the sequel, we need to make it clear that this is a feature film. Like that we're going to change the look mm-hmm. of it. And we're going to talk about the fact that, you know, that was, that was a fake movie and the, with actors. And we're going to talk about how people thought it was real. Like, it just seems so reactionary. Whereas now, you know, they, they've got too many things coming. Like they've, they've got to hit that date that I, I don't even think they bother to try to react to it anymore. So I, I think that this is probably just a product of its time. Cause otherwise I think that failure or not, I think that you would have at least had with this success, you would have had three or four if it was, you know, made now. If it made this type of money now, there's no way they'd stop it too, even if the second one was a complete uh, clusterfuck. See, my 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 premise, you know, this whole for this whole episode is that the Blair Witch is just like the Legend of Boggy Creek. It was, you know, it was. It, <laughs> Please, it just hit, then it hit, we cannot lead with that. We cannot hit, have that be the hook for the episode. But it's true, and and that and you know, <laughs> truth matters more than what sells. <laughs> so I think it was very very popular. It, it came out at just the right time, hit just the right buttons, and managed to be a success. And I, I I'm not going to say it's forgotten today. But I think it's on its way to being forgotten. And, and I mean, that I, happens with everything. That happens with everything. I mean, 30 years uh, you know, later, you, know, you pretty much will... Like people, people who were born in the mid-90s or, who, or, or after, I don't think are going to find the Blair Witch as engaging or uh, successful as well, they're people gonna, they from they our have generation. To, ben. Why do they have to? Because you say so? Like, <laughs> Well, because they have no alternatives. They're like, <laughs> well, do I want to watch Frozen 7? Or, you know, do they make scary movies anymore? Let, let's see. Oh, what's this streaming here? I, I think, you know, if, if things if things were as they were back in 1999 or the early 2000s, then yes, I would agree with you. But now, you know, if you're, if you're going to limit the scope of the theatrical product that you put out there, uh, yeah, I, I think people will, will come back and find, find this. I, what I find fascinating about it is that to me, it's more, I, I, I liken this very much so to the matrix, like where mm-hmm. I, I think that somehow people have kept the original so far removed from the sequels that it's almost like the sequels don't exist. Like I, I would agree with you that people probably, a lot of people don't even realize that there was one made, you know, a few years ago. But this one, I think, I think has remained. I, I think people will still hold it up as like, oh yeah, that's a scary movie. If I like scary movies, I should check that out at some point. I this is I know this is going to be sad for you to hear. Probably I think not. it's just people in our generation. I think people who who grew up away from this phenomenon when it hit theaters and everything are not going to have the same reaction. Um, and you know, I there. Are, there, they could have done more in the movie for it to have more staying power, and they didn't. So on the DVD, uh, they they showed off 
they when they when the movie initially got bought up by Artisan or whoever, they asked for some alternate endings because they said that the ending that they had was just leaving people confused, which is my reaction to it today, uh, you know. And they did, they, they shot, like, they sh- went out b- back out there. They shot four different endings. Guess what? Every single one of those endings is basically the same. And it just sort of, it points out to me the, the kind of limited uh, imaginations, sort of like uh, Hartford in uh, Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> That you that you lobbed right. it, okay. that they had they had sort of a, they had a really great idea for a movie, and and they had a big success because of that. But they they themselves didn't have enough imagination for to make this to make a really truly classic horror film that would stand the test of time. And that's my that's my big criticism against it. I remember that ending really working. Like I remember that uh, people like gasping and like recoiling from it from that that last shot when you see mike in the corner um uh that one i don't know that and that like even just like i have it just imdb up like that's you know that's one of the images that scrolls across it's just that last shot of him just standing in the corner and of course you you know at that point when you see that that uh heather is about to be killed like she'll be first um i don't know i i think it's i think it's effective um I do like uh, you uh, calling out the uh, filmmakers here and comparing them. I'm sure they would even appreciate being compared to Tom Cruise. (laughs) (laughs) Even if he's not a likable character, it's not like you're comparing him to Maverick from Top Gun or something, but uh, do you know what, okay. Do you know what drives me crazy about it? And this happens. You've you've said at length there, there, there's a number of things with this that drives you crazy about it. Well, okay. There's something else. And it happens multiple times throughout the movie. Uh, oh, there's something scary going on outside. Better pull out the 16 millimeter camera so it looks cool. Like, like that happens multiple times in the movie, and and that's that partly really doesn't work for me. I think, you know, Look, Heather is a go getter. I like Heather. <laughs> I like that character. I think it's just like just embrace the level of production that you're at, not you know try to pull out the 16 millimeter camera for no reason at all. It doesn't fit in the story. I don't know. It depends on who's wielding the camera. If Heather is, then yes. But if if she's not, I will agree with you on that point. I think Heather's the only one I would believe that would like still do it because you know she's getting berated throughout the whole film for like still making her her documentary that they they say with you know much sarcasm as she's like pointing her camera at sticks as, as they're being like chased around the woods. So um, can, can we let's talk about one more point? Sure. That you've brought up. You've brought up not in this episode, but. Uh, in other ones that uh, uh, the actress here, Heather Donahue nominated uh, for a Razzie for a lead performance. in this don't get it. I don't get it at all. I think it's very unfair. I think the movie shouldn't have been nominated for the Razzie because like I said, no matter what, if anyone could do this, they would like if, if movie studios could fund mm-hmm. t- like a hundred of these movies and one could hit, they would do it, but that doesn't work that way. So you have to give them some credit. Uh, and I don't think that's right. And I'm not a huge fan of the performance. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say it's awful. I'm not going to say, going to say it's great, but it, you know, it, why You've pick, learned. why You've pick grown. on, but it, but it also, that kind of goes to one of my criticisms of the Razzies today is that, you know, they never nominate indie, indie movies, no matter how bad they are. 
And I just picking on independent movies that end up being a success seems like really, really petty to me. Um, if -hmm. you truly think something is is awful cinema and everything, it shouldn't matter how much was paid for it. I I don't know who, uh, like, you know, much like us, like the Golden Globes. I don't don't know who the voters are for the Razzies. I don't, is that some sort of organization? Is it like Mm -hmm. limited? Is it something they do online now? I I I mean, I have no idea. Um, but I, I just want to respect the, uh, personal growth you've shown from the previous episode where <laughs> you I called the, the teenage actors of the wood, not good. Well, <laughs> just... they were, they, well, you know, these, I, okay. I think these actors here are better, but there's, I think there's an obvious lack of commitment, um, you know, in some of the things that they're doing. Uh, the thing that bothers me sometimes and that so yeah you're gonna hate me because i'm criticizing them but it bothers me how much heather seems to be screaming for no reason you know and and i think and i think if she were to go back and do this now she would have more restraint that's a good point because you're, you're talking about maybe a lack of commitment i feel like based on what i read where they were you know they were running them through um you know, when at the time this was filmed, there was no such thing as Survivor. I think this came out yeah. maybe the same summer or the summer after Survivor started. Uh, but they're basically doing an, uh, a film version of that where they were rationing out the food and they were giving them less and less as the production went on to, you know, to, to pull more out of them, more more agitation, more, uh, you know, just general sense of just being tired and scared and frustrated. And um, I... I think that's actually a really good point, man. Maybe maybe she's going big because she's like, <laughs> she just wanted to give them something. Like, okay, it's a scary movie. I'm gonna scream, and then please leave me alone. I'm just gonna sit in this wet tent. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I wouldn't have done it. Like, uh, to be honest, like if I, you know, <laughs> if I was 20 years old and I was like, whoever the first camera, whoever the first guy is, uh, Josh or whatever, you know, I I would have gotten maybe a week into it. And I would said, hey, it's been nice. I think he's the only one that's gone on to do a lot of work because uh, I know he was in uh, the Soderbergh movie, the uh, you know mm-hmm. the like Blair Witch, the the iPhone movie he did, the the horror movie. Uh, but you know he pops up a, a lot. He's got well, since he's got eighty eighty five credits as an actor. So um, uh, yeah, I, I I liked all three of them. Uh, I like this movie more than I uh, expected, and uh, I'm sure that means we've got another. Well, Adam Sandler, did he do two comedies that summer? Did Mike Myers cameo in something else? Because that means the streak's about to be over, Ben. I don't. Oh, I forget what's coming up next. Oh, no, I remember. Uh, I actually don't have it in front of me. I'm okay, not Well, lying. it's two I'm, movies. I'm, it's two movies. Okay. And okay, so we had, we with last week we, we talked about a movie that was a euphemism for a man's sexual organ. Uh, next week we have another movie whose title is a euphemism. Well, is a male's sexual organ. Do you know what it is? <laughs> well, I'm surprised you didn't go with, uh, you know, your your personal hero, uh, <laughs> Richard Nixon. So this is the comedy that I've never seen called Dick. And we're pairing that with a movie. Oh, it's about like a beauty pageant or something. Um, do you know what it's called? I, I know it's on our schedule and I think it has Denise Richards. In yes. It, but I yes. forget the name. And I've also uh, never seen this one. Drop Dead Gorgeous. Uh, okay. I saw right. I saw Dick in theaters. So, you know, that's how big of a Richard Nixon fan that, that I've always been. So, you know, you could learn from that level of commitment. <laughs> Deniston. 
don't think it, I don't think we can top that. No. <laughs> And if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at 99from99.